Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 102 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. Hope everybody is doing well. Man, was it a good time in Marshall, Michigan at the Northfield Instruments get-together. Jake Howard was there. It was amazing to uh, hang out with Jake and Grant Flick. Holy cow, those guys are great. Uh, They played a duo set. Grant joined the band that I played with for a bunch of tunes. And at the end of the night, we all picked some together. And then uh, actually afterwards, we all stuck around and and played music for, I don't know, late in the evening. Jake had to head to Chicago. I had to head back up to uh, mid-Michigan. So I want to thank Adrian and Derek and everybody over there at Northfield Mandolins. They are great. I want to thank them for supporting the podcast and just putting on such a cool event in Marshall. Oh, and speaking of killer mandolins, I got to play a, uh, a nugget there, a bench copy of the lore. Woo-wee. I believe Jake said it was his favorite mandolin around, so good times. Um, hey, we've got a winner for the Peghead Nation contest. Thanks for everybody who signed up to the mailing list. If you want to be eligible for some giveaways further into the uh, year here, I hope to have one or two more coming up. Just go to mandolinsandbeer.com, hit the pop-up there, and sign up to subscribe to the website. That's it. I'll notify, I've notified the winner. I haven't heard back yet, um, but I'll announce the name once that is uh, chosen. So thank you to Peghead Nation for donating that for episode 100. If you're not familiar with Peghead Nation, Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors. Um, Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, and Chad Manning. Everything from beginner to theory to Aaron's craziness to that melodic stuff John does, Monroe stuff, Irish mandolin. It's all there. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now. Get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. And be sure to check out their Instagram. It's killer. And, uh, oh, I also got to play a prototype mando cello that they built. Fan. Fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, Pava Mandolins, dedicated to building for the impassioned player. All right, y'all, let's get into this episode with Rick Robertson. What a great talk. Uh, just, man, you could talk to that guy for hours. He's also got another album we talk about. It's called Carolina Child. There's no mandolin at all on it, but if you like uh, soulful indie kind of rock, it's it's great. And even if you don't, you should check it out to see if maybe it, maybe it something for you. Anyhow, and again, this new album that him and Dominic have coming out is mind-blowingly good. Uh, Let's play a little sample for that as we get into the interview. And speaking of samples, go to mandolinsandbeer.com to find out what samples of songs I played on this episode. Cheers, everybody. My pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Rick Robertson. Rick, how's it going? 
Going pretty good. How are you doing, man? Doing good, man. You, uh, you're a busy guy. You've, uh, we were just talking here offline, and you just got back from a whole bunch of dates. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Busy and, and glad to be home for a few days, for sure. Yeah, and home is New Orleans for you? That's right. Yep, been living in New Orleans for about six years. Nice. So you have the same sort of crazy weather as we get here in Charleston, that heat and humidity? Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> especially right now in August, man. It's, uh, it's yeah. intense, but kind of just sink right into it. Yeah, I think I, I think I might have seen you on a video. I love that Joshua Starkman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy great. cracks yeah. me up, man. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a great Bob. So you, your album that you're out there kind of promoting right now is Carolina Child. Are you open-eyed? Are you living free? Are you stars aligned how they ought to be? Are you out with somebody else getting over our love? Are things looking up? Is life treating you good? Which is no mandolin at all on it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, which is funny, and how I first heard your name is interviewing Dominic Leslie. And mm. he mentioned he had been down there with you and you guys recorded an EP. And then I looked you up. I'm like, there's no mandolin on this album. It was before Carolina Childs, way back yeah. before the EP yeah. came out. I'm wait a minute. Yeah. And then yeah. you guys put that EP out on Bandcamp. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So you have that one out already, but you have a brand new album album coming out with Dominic here that just got uh, right. mastered by Dave Cinco or mixed by Dave Cinco. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're really excited about this one. Um, it's called Trust in Most, and we, I guess we recorded it, I don't remember when that was, sometime about three months ago or so, three or four months ago. Oh, Nice. And yeah, this, the shrimp, the shrimp tails was the name of our EP. And that one ended up being just about, I don't remember, 15 minutes long or something. It's real short. It's five or six tracks. And, and this one's more of a full length record. I think it comes out to, you know, closer to 40 minutes or something. And it's killer. It is so Thank good, you. man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love it. And I don't want to dig too far into it yet because I want to uh, just focus on that um, completely yeah. here. But in the yeah. meantime, so how did you how did you start your mandolin journey? Yeah, great question. Um, so I grew up in mostly in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I actually was born in Philadelphia and lived in South Jersey until I was about uh, six and then moved to Dallas, Texas for a year. And then right about my eighth birthday, moved to, to Greensboro, North Carolina um, and was always playing music. I, I was playing piano from when I was, I guess, five, you know, four or five. We always had a piano in the house. And then my parents started getting me lessons and 
uh, when I was about 10, I discovered the guitar uh, at a summer camp. Just it was like one of the electives you could take was guitar or, or basketball or rock climbing or whatever, you know, you chose to focus on. I like the guitar. And I, I remember I learned uh, that Neil Young song, Heart of Gold. Nice. <laughs> I, came, I, I, I came back home and was playing that. And my mom actually had an acoustic guitar in the closet. So, and then um, in, in middle school, uh, yeah, right when I got to sixth grade, so I guess like 11, 12, um, one of my neighbors who actually was in middle school with me as a banjo player named Bennett Sullivan. I don't know if you know Bennett. I know um, the name. Yeah, he's an amazing banjo player. Lives in Western North Carolina now. Um, and we became good friends when we were, yeah, about 12, 11 or 12. And slowly just jamming with him because he had a banjo. His dad was a guitar player and, and we were in Greensboro. And over the next couple of years in middle school, his, his dad would take us to the local bluegrass jam. Um, and so I was sort of playing guitar. And then uh, we had a family friend named Gary Silverstein, good friends of my parents, uh, amazing mandolin player and mandolin collector that was living in Greensboro. And um, he had all these mandolins on the wall. I think my parents were on a vacation and we were staying with Gary and his family. And I just saw the mandolins on the wall and was sort of fascinated by them. I guess I would have been 12 or 13 at this time. And he, he happened to have just like these beginner model Kentucky mandolins in, in cardboard boxes. And he let me take one home. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember he taught me just like how to walk a little blues, you know, boom, 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 boom. And I just sat there and did that for a while, a few weeks. Um, and not long after that, David Grisman Quintet came to the Carolina theater in Greensboro. And Bennett, I remember Bennett's dad saying, you're going to love this. You are going to love this. And I didn't know who David Grisman was. And, um, he took us to see Grisman and that really is what made me want to play the mandolin, um, full time. totally captivated by the performance. It was when Joe Craven was in the band and, um, and he came out and would start the show playing on a paper cup <laughs> and, and you would just like play the cup for a while. Then one by one, the members of the David Grisman quintet would come out on stage and that just really hit me. You know, at 13, I was so captivated by the performance and I had my Kentucky mandolin with me and I went to buy a, a, a CD from, from the merch table after the show and, and dog signed my Kentucky mandolin. <laughs> oh, sweet so, man. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was kind of where it started, you know? And, um, yeah. And I just, and I, and I got hooked and, you know, I, like I said, uh, Bennett was playing banjo. So it was, it was pretty natural. And, um, this was, I guess we're talking about 2003. And, uh, so it was an exciting time for the mandolin. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was like, Oh brother, where art thou? And nickel Creek was just popping off. And, you know, pretty soon I saw Chris Thiele or had heard of him and 
you know, for us, for us, 13 year old mandolin players at that time, that was like, that was it, man. You know, Cause he, <laughs> yeah. he was, he was 20, you know, 21, whatever. And, you know, he was bringing this whole other like rock and roll sort of energy to it and just virtuosity. I actually ended up going to an arts high school in oh, Greensboro. Oh, cool, man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I was really lucky to to be able to go there. And I studied, you had to sort of have a major there. And I ended up studying classical guitar. Me and Bennett Sullivan both, we were in just a regular public middle school. And I remember they came around to our home rooms and said, this art school is opening. So we both decided to go there and we studied classical guitar and I had my mandolin and I was sort of just doing both things, <laughs> um, you know, doing classical guitar at school, playing still rock and roll and all the other stuff that I was into before I got into the acoustic music, bluegrass stuff and, and juggling that, those things. So, um, and that took me to 2004 where it all really clicked. And that was at, um, uh, this mandolin camp that my mom actually found online and said, you know, I think you'd be interested in, in going to this. And that was called the mandolin symposium. Oh yeah. So have you, have you heard of that? Oh no, yeah. I, the, yeah. yeah the, okay. um, it's <laughs> yeah. one of those things that I wish I would have gone to before it disappeared. I mean, now there's a bunch of them, but there was that right. one magical time where it was like dog and Mike Marshall and Thiele. And I'm like, Oh, that my. was it. Man. Oh, was it yeah, really? That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first, that was the first one that I went to the first one, you know? And, and, and so it was a real trip and it was, yeah, it was dog Thiele and, and Mike Marshall put it on and it was, uh, in Santa Cruz, California. And my mom found it online and she said, you know, this looks like you definitely want to be there. I said, yeah, <laughs> David Grisman's there and Chris Steely and Mike Mar, of course, you know. Um, and I was 14, I guess. Yeah, I just turned 14. And you couldn't go, if you were under 18, you weren't allowed to go to the Mandolin Symposium without a chaperone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So but my, my parents, you know, their typical fashion were very supportive of me going, but they're like, we're not going, you know, <laughs> we don't have, we don't have time for that kind of thing, you know? Um, but we'll send you. And so my mom posted on, this is also like early internet day, message board days, you know, like AOL, whatever. And they had a message board on the mandolin symposium website. And I posted with my mom, you know, like, uh, my name's, uh, you know, well, this is actually an important fact. My name is Eric Robertson. I go by Rick Robertson. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's if you want to dig into stuff that happened before I started going to Rick Robertson and more mandolin centric things, you could Google Eric Robertson and you might find some more of that. Oh, sweet. But I, yeah. So it's just, you know, I dropped the E it's just RIC, but Anyway, I digress. At the time, I, I put on the message board, my name's Eric Robertson. I'm, you know, 14. I want to go to this thing. And can anybody be my chaperone? <laughs> you know? And, you know, this 22-year-old dude responded and he said, yeah, I'll be your chaperone. My name's Joe Walsh. And 
no, just outing here. Yeah. No. The guy from the Eagles? Was... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Right. Joe Joe K. Walsh. Yeah. yeah. And at oh, this that's time awesome. he, he was still just Joe Walsh and he was just like a nice guy from Minnesota that said, Sure, man, I'll you know, I'll chaperone this fourteen year old. And um yeah, man, that's how it happened. Sure, sure as hell. He he picked me up from the airport in Santa Cruz and and I wandered into the mandolin symposium with this like guy I just met who was Joe Walsh and and uh, yeah and I remember like you know I guess at the first mandolin symposium I want to say there was maybe two hundred people you know two hundred students or something and there was maybe ten or fifteen of us that were young were kids so we like sort of gravitated toward each other pretty quickly you know it was like summer camp for us sure. Who were and some of those a, people? Was it was it like Dominic and in that? Yep, group? it yeah. was it was me, Dominic Leslie, Jake Jolliffe, Sarah DeRose, uh, Josh Pinkham. I mean, everybody. We've all. It's pretty wild, you know. <laughs> it it is like, wild, man. And it was like a little. We were all like little ducklings following around Chris Thiele, you know. <laughs> so he kind of had like these older mandolin players, mandolin collectors who were there for Mike Compton and. John Sternberg and David Grisman and Mike Marshall and Feely was there. And then Feely just always had this like little row of like 10 kids just following him around the camp. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and you know, I'm sure some of the older people were salty about all that and which is fun, you know, sure. Yeah. There's this time in in mandolin history, you know, it was like the great divide. Um, (laughs) but, but it was, it was cool, man. And I, I had just been playing mandolin for like a year maybe. And these guys like Dominic and, um, Jake and Sarah, I mean, Sarah, they all had grown up. They've been playing since they were like five or whatever and going to these festivals like, um, in Colorado and California and more of the West coast scene. And so I, I really hit it off with all of them as friends and, and musically in some way, but I certainly felt like I just remember them playing like Chris Dealey solos they had learned and like, <laughs> you know, Sam Bush solos from those Bela Fleck records and all this stuff. And that, that idea hadn't even, I didn't even understand that that was a thing you could do, you know, like right. transcribe a solo, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I was still sort of new to the, to the thing. Um, but yeah, that's, but that certainly like that moment in my life was huge. Cause I was, I had traveled all the way from North Carolina to this camp and then was just surrounded by all these great young mandolin players who became some of my closest friends. Um, I remember like, yeah, I think it was the first night of the camp. They kind of put us all up in these little dormitory apartments and, um, I was walking around with Joe and, uh, he walked into this other apartment and, and saw this friend of his named John Frazier, who's a great mandolin player, lives in Nashville now, I believe, from Colorado. And uh, John Frazier was a chaperone for Dominic. Oh, wow. So, like, <laughs> Joe, Joe was with me, you know, his little, you know. <laughs> and then John was with Dominic, and I walked into the apartment, and Dominic and I were both wearing tie-dye shirts, and we were, you know, he was 13, I was 14, and... And we just kind of hit it off right there, you know. You're like, yeah, we're going to be friends. Oh, that's so cool, so, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to start selling uh, mandolin symposium bottled water. Like, what What in the water <laughs> made all these people so great? <laughs> oh, man, yeah. I don't know. It's a funny, it's a funny thing to look back on it. And, and uh, it almost sounds made up, you know. It's like mandolin Hogwarts or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it was great. And then like, um, you know, Sam Grisman was there with, with his dad, just like his dad was running this camp and Sam was playing bass and went to meet other young musicians. And, um, and I remember having lunch one day in the cafeteria and meeting Sam and we just also hit it off immediately. So, so yeah, that was, that was the first mandolin symposium. And, 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 uh, I went back, I think for, three or four years oh, cool. every summer. So this was kind of our thing, you know, we would all go back and, and then we would all meet at the mandolin symposium in the summers. And as we moved through high school and we're going, it, it ended up being more, you know, skipping classes and doing all the things <laughs> you do, you know, right. at summer, at summer camp, you know, we were kids. Like, Absolutely. There was, yeah. There was kind of this like rebellious, debaucherous thing going on, which was fun. And, and some of the great memories and, um, and, and yeah, and just like the music got more intense, everybody got more into their own thing. And, and, uh, and these festivals were happening throughout the year where we would see each other. So one of them was Merle Fest in North Carolina. That was kind of my stomping grounds. Um, only like, you know, less than an hour from where I grew up and Dominic would come out there with his family and do the mandolin contest. And I would see, so we would all see each other a few times a year and and me and Dominic, like our parents would let us get a hotel room together at Wintergrass in Tacoma and Seattle. We would all meet there. Um, and meanwhile, there was like this other, you know, these concentric circles. There was fiddle players going to the Mark O'Connor fiddle camp. And so that's where like Alex Hargraves, uh, Tristan and Tashina Claridge, um, you know, a lot of these, Mike Barnett, a lot of these young fiddle players kind of had their little circles and we all started intersecting, making music together. And that's, you know, that's the social magic of bluegrass and acoustic music right there you know yeah for sure it's also pretty interesting because i think like like you said like it was kind of the early internet so staying connected staying connected kind of became a little bit easier too yeah i mean you didn't have to write you didn't have to write snail mail letters or you know what i mean you could send all sorts of information back and forth oh yeah yep yep and yeah and i remember just like i had all my friends in high school and like the things I was doing at home, but I would stay on the phone, you know, with Dominic for hours all the time. And we'd kind of just like be excited for this other world we were living in, which was going to these festivals and meeting, talking about records and trading solos and things we were working on. So, yeah, man, that is, (laughs) that is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that was going on for me was that me and Bennett Sullivan, who I mentioned earlier, started a little bluegrass, like new acoustic band in Greensboro, um, called Beaconwood. And, you know, when we were 13, 14 and we just, we ran that all through high school. And so we kind of, I played mandolin and guitar and that Bennett played banjo. And we had a guy named Ryan Stanford, um, who played bass and guitar. He's a great musician. Actually is like aeronautical engineer now. Oh, no kidding. But yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, and uh, and got a couple kids, and, and Bennett does too, and um, and so we were we were you know meanwhile having this sort of band, and I think that was like a lot of where what was informing my musical, and and as a singer, and starting to write songs a little bit, and, um, getting to the studio, all that stuff was happening. So 
Yeah, you have a great voice, which if, if oh, people you. should definitely go in and check out this Carolina Child album, even though there's no mandolin yeah. content on it because there, there, there's there's great songs on it and, you know, Thank you. all that stuff yeah. kind of yeah. runs hand in hand. So your singing's great. Totally. Thank you, man. Yeah, Thank man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you're learning these, when you start this new acoustic band in high school, what kind of tunes are you guys doing? Well, we were... Um, we were doing all kinds of stuff. I had several mandolin teachers in North Carolina. So like things I would get from them. One of them was this guy, Arnie Solomon, who's one of the unsung heroes of the mandolin. You know about him? No, I don't. I'm writing it down though. Yeah. Arnie Solomon is great. He's like grew up in New York, but was living in North Carolina. And he actually learned like from Monroe. Oh, he hit wow. the YMCA in like Brooklyn. That's oh. where he got into mandolin. <laughs> and and he was one of these guys that I met going to the weekly bluegrass jam. Um, and Gary Silverstein too, is who I mentioned earlier, got me in. Th- those guys were two of my mandolin teachers at home in North Carolina. Um, and I remember, you know, like at the, I was like 14 and I got the Nickel Creek records and was so getting into Thiele and, those guys were always kind of keeping me a little bit distant from that. Like, yeah, that's okay. But <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did you take it like, Oh, do a butterfly and be like, Hey, can we learn this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And those guys weren't so into that stuff, you know, it sure. was like, it, it was too clean. And I appreciate that a lot, man. Cause that's informed my mandolin playing a lot. It was just like these teachers who really were like into like the grit and, and the, there's, there's something so ancient about the mandolin and especially like, when you let it do its thing and let, you know, um, and I mean, Monroe, it's not, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's not really necessarily just about cleanliness or precision or lack thereof. It's, it's just this whole approach. And, um, certainly guys like Arnie Solomon, Monroe, um, Andy Statman, David Grisman. I mean, these are like my heroes, uh, of the mandolin. They, they embrace that. A little bit of that grit, you know? Sure. Monroe is a great example of that. If you really start digging in, it's like, whoa. Um, And not to say, you know, I think Feely achieved that in his own way. It's just that these, like, art or any of these things are just, like, expand and, and, uh, you know, retract or whatever. So it's like a pendulum that swings. So in the early 2000s when Feely took this stuff, he took the pendulum all the way to one end. (laughs) It was, you know, it was bound to swing back. It's like, what else? I'm not going to take that any further, you know? So in a lot of ways, I'm, you know, then the older I get and the more I kind of embrace my own musical voice or creative voice, which expresses itself in a lot of ways that aren't just even playing music. It's, um, you know, I'm grateful that Feely, is the pioneer is the explorer that took that pendulum all the way to that side. So the rest of us could start swinging back the other way, <laughs> you know, right, absolutely. And, uh, and, and Dominic, you know, Leslie, who's one of my best friends and certainly as far as the young mandolin players go, you know, one of my, my personal favorite, um, in a lot of ways, he, he, uh, I think he's like a great example of someone who actually really, you know, he's technically, just incredible mandolin player and has pushed that and worked on that. Um, I think a lot more than myself, you know, (laughs) but he's, he's also just like really understands that soulful grit and the magic of just like letting the mandolin do its own thing rather than trying to impose his own technique onto the mandolin. If that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like, uh, it's, it's, uh, he's like one of those dudes who it, um, 
it's nice to know he's like a ferrari you don't have to use the speed uh but it's nice <laughs> it's nice to know you have it yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah you know he's like one of those dudes he's um i got to do that live stream with him in nashville and um it was really i oh, mean cool. just because listening to his recordings i mean i definitely knew what he was capable of but in yeah that, like kind of a jam situation he really he was great with like letting it breathe and just doing like these oh, yeah. slight little bends and just these little yeah just these little things that you know made you go like yeah. oh wow you know yeah and dominic always has had this um he's just an incredibly natural improviser like he he really does weave melodies and and breathes melodies in this way that's so natural and it wouldn't matter what instrument he was playing and you know it it the mandolin is his weapon of choice but um you know he's just so naturally musical so that would come out regardless of the instrument now did you go to um did you go to college for music I went to Berkeley I yeah, I was gonna ask that I I couldn't find anything online but I figured you you might have. Yes, I went to Berkeley. How did that um, enter your world? Was it because uh, other people were going and you knew Joe? How how did you decide on Berkeley? All those things, yeah. So uh, Joe, when he was my chaperone at Maryland Symposium in 2004, uh, I think that was right before he went to Berkeley as the first mandolin major. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's some kind of full circle thing. And he went to study with John McGann, who was the mandolin professor at Berkeley, who's another huge hero of mine and incredible influence on my playing um, and on encouraging me to really sink into songwriting and singing and be myself in that way and not necessarily just, um, you know, play the mandolin. And he was just a hilarious guy, John, um, and a, a beautiful soul and person to be around and just a great friend, you know, and teacher. Yeah. Um, and sadly, he passed away uh I guess that was in 2000 and I don't even remember nine or 10. Yeah. It uh, seems like a long time ago now. I remember seeing yeah. that on the mandolin cafe and just really realizing yeah. there's still a lot of great videos out there of him performing yeah. with like a lot of the students. And it's just, you can see again, like one of those guys, you can just see like the joy in like, totally. the, you know, he's consumed by the music. Yes. And yeah. what's kind of cool about him is his music. It lives on in all like, all the students that are out there now just crushing it. And, you know, he's yep. part of that. Yep. It's just amazing. He is. He absolutely is. So, yeah. So Joe was going to Berkeley. He was the first mandolin student there. So I was aware of the program as early as my freshman year in high school in 2004. Um, but then another person I met, I think in 2005 or I think, yeah, sophomore in high school, uh, was a fiddle player named Nate Leaf, who was from Hickory, North Carolina. But he was playing in a band at the time called Old School Freight Train. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, you remember those guys? I do remember yeah. that. That album, I yeah. think it was a CD called Run. I think yep. it was one. Yeah, great album. album they were honestly like in the whole new acoustic scene they were like my favorite band because i you know jesse harper was the singer and is still a good friend and uh jesse is just like a really soulful singer and a great pop songwriter 
And so I was like getting that through. They were the one band I really um, felt that. And Ben Krakauer was playing banjo, who's like this wild, um, explorative banjo player. And um, and Nate Leaf is playing fiddle, and that his playing just spoke to me immediately on those records. Um, and so I remember at Merle Fest in the, yeah maybe 2005 or 2006, I was sitting down playing tunes with Dominic uh, and some campsite or something, and this dude walks up with overalls on and his hair is all messed up and he, <laughs> I don't think he had shoes on and he just like got down on two knees and reaches into the pouch of his overalls and takes out an egg shaker. And he just starts like <laughs> shaking this egg shaker, you know, with our jam yeah. and like, seriously, like his eyes were closed and he was just in it playing this shaker. And that was Nate Leaf, you know? Oh, that's and great. That's, that's Nate in a nutshell, man. He is like, you know, spirit guide, um, you know, real, just ancient tones, uh, really like wild spirit, you know, sort of like, um, you know, almost got this like beatnik just energy, um, but via, you know, Appalachia. <laughs> so he, so he and I really hit it off at the time. Old school freight train was just made that record run that you mentioned. And that was, produced by david grisman so grisman kind of found them and was into their thing and they were touring with david grisman oh, wow. um, and they, they were opening for him and like playing on his set and um nate had gone to berkeley he's a little bit few years older than me so he had gone to berkeley and left after a few years to do this touring with grisman and Old school, I think, uh, yeah, my junior year of high school, old school freight train was playing a show with Grisman in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I went and ran into Nate again. And, and he's such a sweet dude. He was like, man, you come back and stay, stay in my hotel. I got an extra bed in my hotel room, you know, if you want to come back and jam. And my parents had driven me there to the show. And <laughs> I think it was like before I got my license and I, I was like, can I go back and stay with Nate? And they're like, oh yeah, sure, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Nice. And, yeah. Which again, bless their hearts. <laughs> um, and so I went back and played with Nate all night and he was like, you need to go to Berkeley. You're going to love it. They have this roots music program. He had just been there with the first generation of acoustic musicians who were there, which was like, Chris Pandolfi, Rashad Eggleston, uh, Casey Dreesen, Nate, you know, that was Ed Joe Walsh. They were all kind of like the first wave. And so he had been there with those guys. And I remember him showing me some stuff he had learned at Berkeley. He showed me these like really cool Indian rhythmic reductions and like the soul fed, you know, Takadimi Tadaginadum, you know, that kind of stuff. And just like kind of blew my mind with that. And he was just like, you're going to love it there. And, I was just about to finish high school, so I was trying to figure out what to do. And I would say, yeah, Nate really sealed the deal on me wanting to go there. Um, and at the same time, Boston, in now we're talking about 2007 is when I graduated high school, when I went to Boston, was becoming this like mecca for new acoustic music. It was just the spot. Um, Tristan and Tashina Claridge, this great brother-sister fiddle duo who were, were on this camp called Mount Shasta Fiddle Camp. They had moved into a house there with Margaret Glasby and Ben Krakauer. Uh, Wes Corbett was there. So even people that weren't going to Berkeley, uh, Charlie Rose, um, all these all these folks in the scene. Uh, you know, Crooked Still was a band there. Uh, 
and Joy Kill Sorrow and Lake Street Dive and all these bands were happening there, plus the Berkeley thing. I think that was a combination of New England Conservatory and Berkeley both being there. And then just Boston being this good place to sort of learn and and have these sort of, you know, breeding ground for, for cool creative stuff for, for people that were college age, college aged. And so, yeah, I went to Berkeley fall of 2007 and my college roommate in the dormitory was Jake Jolliffe. Oh, nice, man. <laughs> yeah. So we spent that whole first year just like with our beds and, you know, and right next to each other in this one room dorm. <laughs> and, um, and Jake and I played the same mandolin at the time. We both had this Rigel, this like this, uh, the F style Rigel. And so we got to Berkeley and we both had the same mandolin and we're both in the dorms together. And I think there was like eight mandolin players. No you know, and you're talking about a school where there's like 1,500 guitar players. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. And at that time, you know, there was eight mandolin players and me and Jake were pretty, you know, definitely seemed to be the most serious ones <laughs> that were that were there. So it was kind of just, it was still a very small program. It was the, still the early days of the Roots music thing at Berkeley, which now after all these years, um, every time I, I see, like, or I, I've been back or it's crazy how much that exploded. Oh my gosh. It's Yeah. Just doing yeah. this podcast, how many people I've interviewed who have gone through it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago, yeah, 2018, I was spending that year. Most of that year, I was playing with Rian and Giddens. And, uh, oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah oh, I was playing. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, it was cool. I, I was playing guitar, a little bit of mandolin, and a lot of keys in her band, sort of this multi-instrumentalist thing. And we played this festival called Mass Mocha. And... Uh, up in Massachusetts at the, at the modern art museum, there, a really cool festival and Berkeley had sent over a busload of the roots music students to this festival. And they were like playing. And I remember during random set, they were all standing behind. And like, I met a lot of these young players that were at Berkeley at, at that time, 2018. And I couldn't believe it. There was like 35 mandolin players at Berkeley at the time. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> right. So it really has just continued to grow and grow and, um, so that's kind of skipping ahead, but yeah, I was there in 2007 and then the next year Dominic got there. Um, and the next year after that Sierra Hole came. And so like, it just, it just kept getting stacked with like great roots musicians, you know? Right. What was your favorite thing that you, uh, studied while you were there? Well, I ended up studying songwriting, um, which was interesting, uh, thing to study in college, but, and, and cer certainly informed, you know, a lot of, I, I got stuff out of that. Um, but I was half, I was doing half songwriting and half perf mandolin performance. Um, which, like I said, I studied mandolin itself. I studied with John McGann. Um, and then other than that, I would just like, they would have mandolin players come through. Sometimes I'd get private lessons with the most, um, significant of which was was getting to study with Andy Statman who's you know definitely for a long time was my favorite mandolin player in college he really blew my mind
and the, the reason that I started playing an oval hole mandolin, which I still play, I play an F2, you know, a 1923 F2. And it, that was, you know, I just loved the sound that Stabbing got on those oval hole mandolins um, on like the Flatbush Waltz record, Flatbush Blues. Um, and, and studying with Statman, just a few lessons are just so mind blowing. He's uh, incredible, incredible musician and his whole philosophy on playing music is great. When you sit down but, with a guy like Andy Statman and you just do like a few lessons, what is something, yeah. what is like something that you think maybe resonated with you the most that's kind of still stayed with you from something like that? Cause you know, it's different when you're taking them from somebody once a week and you're building up a rep, you know, totally, uh, totally. Um, a couple of things, man. I remember, so one of the lessons I did with Statman was when Alex Hargraves was at Berkeley too. And me and Alex did our lesson together and this particular one. So we went in together and Statman was there and, uh, and he said, okay, play for me, you know? So me and Alex just looked at each other and we we're like, all right. And we played, we played a fiddle tune. We played, I think, uh, Wild Rose on the Mountain. finish the tune and he says why'd you play that (laughs) (laughs) and that was kind of the lesson we were like we don't know he's like why did you play it like what is that tune is it like is it a is it about like a battle you know like in in war is it about like you know a, a farmer like watching his crops grow is it like a mother played that to her child what is that tune and so that was like a huge moment for me in like kind of just like waking you up, like, why are you playing this? Like, know what you're playing and why, which is a very deep thing with Satman, you know? I mean, he'll, he seems to really get underneath the music he's playing and for what reason. Um, similarly, uh, you know, me and, me and Dominic, when we were both, some years later when we had left Boston and we were both living in New York, I lived in New York City for a few years, and a lot of that contingent from, Boston had moved over to New York and me and Dominic would go see Statman at this synagogue. He'd play in the basement of a synagogue every Wednesday night. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It's I great. have not. And I would love to get there if they uh, yeah, open it back yeah. up again ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but one Wednesday me and Dominic went, there was nobody there. There was just like the rabbi of the synagogue and Statman just sitting there and like nobody had shown up that particular Wednesday. Oh, wow. And it just me and Dominic. And Statman just sat there and talked to us for like, he didn't even play just We just talked for like an hour or something. And then he took out his clarinet and he just played like transcendental Hasidic, you know, like sort of ragas, like this klezmer, you know, just yeah. like a trance. Oh, wow. So that's, you know, that's where this guy's coming from. It's like, um, and another, just another Statman anecdote. One time I, I got myself a lesson with him when, while I was living in, in New York, I went out to Flatbush to his house and the same thing, you know, we sat down and, and he's like, what do you want to know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and sometimes that's like the best thing is like, you realize that 
wow, you haven't even like realized what it is you want to know. Cause you know, um, like, what are you going to use this for? And, uh, I said, well, maybe you could like talk to me or teach me about like your approach to bluegrass. I love the way you play bluegrass. And he just real nonchalant stabbed and said, you know, in 1963 or whatever, I heard Bill Monroe and I knew that I, I, I went around the city and I found every recording of Bill Monroe I could find. And, you know, this is the 60s, so you had to get this stuff from tape and, you know, try to record it to tape or sit down with vinyl. And he said, I found 275 Bill Monroe solos and I slowed down the tapes and I learned every one. Yeah, that was it. Like, next question. <laughs> it was like the whole lesson. <laughs> he was like, you know, it was like, you know, he's not going to sit there and like teach me the licks. He's like, I went out there and I found what I wanted to find, you know. And right. I remember just kind of being like, oh, wow, okay. I came all the way to Flatbush for like this one sentence, you know. <laughs> but uh, but I loved that because he's right. It's like that's that's where it really comes from, man. You know, you find what you want and you get after it. And uh, that kind of ruthless attempt to whatever you're doing, you know, that's that kind of empower self empowerment and just like digging in as deep as you can and living that. That's where it's at, you know. And he's certainly Statman is a an example of that. So. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's a great example, though, is like the, 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 everybody wants that magic pill, you know, or yeah. just press a button and be like, well, I'm a great bluegrass soloer now. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And, and there's some people who, you know, probably can get by doing that. And that's there, but there is really no magic pill. Like if you want to get really good, yeah. you you have to work at it. You have to study stuff. Yeah, you know, you got to learn, yeah. it, you know, there's. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to find you. Right. You know, if that's if that's what you're trying to do. And that's not what music's for for everybody. I mean, some it's all it's diff, it's music is a very uh it's a certain kind of medicine, you know. It has a different role in different people's lives. Um so some people yeah, want to pick up the mandolin and they want a teacher to show them a couple things, you know, a couple tunes and that's going to serve the purpose in their life, but you know, at the level that I've dedicated myself to it my whole life and I think Statman could read that. He's like, what do you want to do? You know? And another thing, um, you know, he's totally psychedelic in like his, his voice and the things he's combines like this kind of atonal avant-garde stuff. He's really into guys like Albert Eiler and Sun Ra and, and, uh, Ornette Coleman. And, um, and I asked him that too. I said, you do so many different things. Like how do you reconcile? How do you, you know, decide when to work on what. And he said, you know, he said, I remember the day I decided I was never going to learn Irish music. (laughs) (laughs) And I I remember the day I decided I wasn't going to learn Brazilian music. So he was like kind of saying, I have actually picked certain lanes. Um, but then he asked me, he said, you write songs, right? You write music. I said, yeah. He said, do that. He said, that's, that's where it's at. He said, if you do that, then you're, you're correct. You know, like whatever you create, if you dig what you make, that's your music, man. You know, so you can study different kinds of music, but you won't have this like question of authenticity if you're just writing your own stuff. And that really has stuck with me and seems to have, you know, really be the path I'm, I've followed and continue to follow now is, uh, professionally as I'm, I'm a, I'm a songwriter, you know? Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. 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 It kind of leads us into this trust in most in a sense of like, I mean, all these journeys kind of got you to, you know, this newest release that's going to be coming out. 
with Dominic. Yeah. And I'm, I'm uh, yeah. one of the things I'm curious about is how you kind of came up with all the tunes because it's a really great selection of songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I said, this was a few months ago. Um, and one thing that me and Dominic, and on the record Shrimp Tales, you'll hear more of this um, than maybe on this record, but something we got really into when we lived together, we actually lived together for a couple years in college, um, but particularly one year where we were in the same apartment and um, we loved playing free, just like no tune, you know, just what would happen if we sat down. And that was, there's actually a great record called Mandolin Abstractions. That's David Grisman and Andy Statman. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard that record is awesome. Absolutely. And it's like most of it is fully improvised stuff. Um, and we loved that. And we were getting into a lot of free music um, just through various professors at Berkeley and, and different music we were listening to. And again, there's something about the mandolin and our approach to the mandolin that like when we hear each other play, there's like this immediate, we unlock something in each other that just takes on its own energy and goes wherever it wants to go. And we can just like stare each other down and just let it go there. <laughs> um, so, and, and we've kind of experimented with like how to capture that on record. Um, in different ways and, and sometimes in ways where we thought it was really interesting, but maybe not worth releasing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, like, or like sort of like challenging, you know, for the ear. And I think that shrimp tails EP, the first one we did has a bit of that, but still has like some structure and we each have a tune we wrote on there and something we wrote together or whatever. Um, and, but this, this record, I feel like we really got the mo it, it was free, and improvised in the sense that I was in Nashville and I ran into, to Dominic, um, or we, uh, you know, we had dinner together the first night I got there and I said, man, I'm here for two more days. You want to make a record? <laughs> and he was, and he's like, let me think on that, you know? And then the next day, um, he, he texted me, yeah, let's do it. You know, let, we can do it tomorrow. We'll do it at my house. And my little brother, Sam, Sam Leslie, who's a great guitar player and, um, he said, Sam can engineer it. He has a, he has a couple mics and let's just do it. So ultimately, you know, this was the idea of making a record was improvised first of all, which was cool. It was like, we didn't, we didn't even have time to prepare for this thing. Um, and so that night I was having a deep hang with, um, one of my really close friends named Logan Ledger, who, if you haven't heard, you should totally check out. Logan is an incredible singer and songwriter uh, and guitar player uh, who lives in Nashville and he made his debut record uh, in the last couple years. It just came out during COVID with T-Bone Burnett. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a great record, man. You, you love, I'm going to really check it out into, for sure. Yeah. Logan's yeah. One of my favorites. And, and I was hanging with Logan and telling him, you know, we were, we were, me and Dominic were going to go into the studio and we just like listened to records all night. And then Dominic ended up coming over to Logan's house and we listened to, this was right after Tony Rice passed, and we listened to this, this live Tony Rice and David Grisman record, the three of us, where they just play tunes, you know? And I think one of the two, I think the first tune they played was the East Virginia Blues. And that's the first record on, that's the first track on Trust in Most. Thank you. 
Um, but that was the idea was we were like trying to come up with material and it was like the record didn't want to be decided what was going to happen. Like it really didn't. You know? <laughs> so ultimately we were just like, man, let's just play. And I swear, man, we went to Dominic's the next day and with no preparation really at all, we just sat down and we would just, one of us would start a tune and we would play the tune and we did one take <laughs> wow. of everything. After 13 tunes that was the record and it's what you hear on the record which you know i mean i guess i'll you know there's no it, it, well i don't know if we should give it away yet maybe i'll wait <laughs> but it's the the track list is pretty interesting and it really is just like it just was what it was you know it's like these great songs it'd be like a country an instrumental version of a hank williams tune and then maybe an instrumental version of like a bob marley song or something you know it's like like a David Grisman tune. It was all, it was kind of like full circle for us. It was coming back to what would happen when we met when we were 13 and 14 is like, we would sit down and play tunes and you wouldn't necessarily play the same tune over and over again. You were in a jam, you just, someone calls a tune, you get through it and that is what it is. And that's exactly what this was. But you know, a good 15 years after we had met. And I think that's where the, uh, where the name of the album comes from trust in most. Um, because we actually ended up recording, I think, 20, 21 or 22 songs. And then we took the 13 that we thought were like the best, you know, it's not that we did anything twice. It was just like we jammed on 22 songs that day. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we picked, we picked the 13 that we thought were just really magical, the whole take. And that is the record is sequentially those songs. And that's why it's called trust in most is like trust, Trust in it and trust in most of the tracks and trust in, uh, you know, the friend that's been there the most. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what that, yeah. the album sounds like, um, like you're a fly on the wall with two killer yeah. players just sitting there and playing music. That's, that's, the it, vibe. that's exactly what it, that's what it is, man. That is exactly what it is. And did you yeah. use that F2 mandolin on this recording? Uh, so that's another interesting thing. My... Um, my mandolin, my F2, I had been going back and forth to the West coast doing this stuff with Sam Grisman a lot. And I think the action was like, wasn't in great shape. It was kind of snapping since then I've had it set up and now it feels really good. But at those, that particular weekend, I didn't feel good about recording that F2. Oh wow. And Dominic has this mandola 
that uh, was David Grisman's that he gave to Sam, which then he lent to Dom that Dom's had. Um, yeah, and it's actually named Nelson Mandola. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, I didn't want to play my mandolin because I didn't think it would record that well on that day. And so that mandola was on the wall, and I just picked it up and I was like, this thing, this feels great. And so the whole record is mandola and mandolin, not two mandolins. That's what I, I don't thought. know if you I was, noticed that. Yeah, I did notice yeah. that. I was like, one's so much, yeah, yeah there's like so much yeah. bottom. Yes. And I love that, man, because on Shrimp Tales, at times it's, it's hard to even tell who's, which of us is which. Right. And that, that has to do a lot with like me and Dominic, especially when we play together, have a very similar sensibility on the mandolin Mm -hmm. and are very responsive to each other. And so when we're both playing mandolins, uh, it, it can be hard to tell us apart sometimes, especially, you know, but this one, you can really, there's a nice separateness because I'm, I'm playing Mandola on the whole record, except for two tracks. I think, um, I forget which two they are, but they're, they're consecutive. And, and, uh, so I don't know, I don't remember if it's right or left. I believe the Mandola's on the left mm-hmm. and the mandolin's on the right. And that might've changed a bit since Dave Cinco mixed it, but but yeah, I'm playing mandola on everything and, and this old Gibson mandola, which had an oval hole and Dominic's playing his Gilchrist. And then, yeah, I think there's two songs where we switched and I'm playing his Gilchrist and he's playing the mandola. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, it's so good. And what I really, really love about it, that's a lot different than I think any sort of duo album especially duo mandolin album is your the way you back each other up it's not just chops and no. um it's very vibey and I, I would like to talk to you a little bit about maybe some advice on people to, uh, how you approach backing up another musician because it's not just chopping along it's really cool it's great no yeah that's a great question i mean there's certainly uh the convention of the mandolin shop we all know about (laughs) (laughs) it kind of became this thing in in bluegrass circles the mandolin player just chopped and um i I just always you know if you listen to those monroe brothers recordings monroe never chopped and uh you know old time i'm really influenced i play a lot of old time string band music too and that uh has really influenced the way i play rhythm certainly on like fiddle tunes and that kind of stuff where I try to kind of get in between what a guitar player and a fiddle player would do and rarely chop. Um, and then, you know, with the kind of stuff that me and Dominic are doing, especially with the mandola, I mean, I play a lot of keys to piano and I feel like that's just letting the mandolin be an instrument like anything else and not necessarily restricting it to one certain role. Uh, you know, I, with, with Dominic, there's like this certain, kind of telepathy we have where the lines between playing rhythm and playing leads are not, uh, are kind of blurred. So sometimes it'll start as someone taking a solo and pretty quickly something that the other person plays will influence the other person. And if, if we were just chopping behind each other, I feel like there would be a lot less of that interaction, you know? Um, I can't so, wait for people to hear this whole album because it really like, you can't really describe it because it's not really anything like, like what people are used to in all the best ways. Like, it's yeah. just, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. there's so much for people to like pick out on this, on this album into, and like to influence maybe playing differently. That's really yeah. exciting, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about it too. And, you know, we were so 
it was just so cool not planning to make a record. And then within a couple of days we had that thing and we were both just so are still so like tickled to listen to it. Cause it, it does feel like it feels like a photograph or something of like that day that we spent together. And, um, and ultimately, you know, some of the moments get really vulnerable and loose cause we didn't, nobody <laughs> knew what was happening, you know? And, and ultimately like we, I remember kind of just us being like, you know, if, there's people that have never heard a mandolin before. Still, a lot of people, you know. And so, I, I think it's kind of cool in that way. Is like if someone's never heard a mandolin, you just like put on that, show them that record. You know, it's like a good showcase just of the instrument and what it can do. Do you have a um, favorite? Do you have a favorite track off the album? One for you that you're just like, this one really sums up what we were going for that day. Yeah, I love the evening prayer blues. came out really cool and it was actually at like six o'clock the sun was setting and like i said we weren't discussing material someone would just start playing something it was like this magic moment where the evening was setting and we just started playing that and um i guess one thing that i do on the mandolin that is a little that uh you know a lot of people don't do is i bend strings yeah and you can hear sometimes yeah yeah, I, i i tend to do that a lot um and you know, it really knocks the strings out of tune. Yeah, it does. It just <laughs> feels it makes so it hard, good to do you know? it, though. <laughs> it feels so good, man. I love it. I love it. And it's just you know, it's part of my sound. And the evening prayer blues certainly has like a lot of that uh, getting in between the notes. And um, yeah, that one's great. I think um, I think it's on what a friend we have in Jesus. Uh, which honestly we realized we didn't even play the second part of the tune. Now that I listen back, I'm like, Oh, we never went to like <laughs> the second part of that song. We just kept playing the first part. So we might just call it what a friend, oh, there but, you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that one then has, that's the one that's like the pin, the peak of tremolo on the record, which is like, it just has this moment where we just really lay into the tremolo and improvise together. And it almost gets into some like pedal steel territory or something where the harmony is just, really carving out its own path and tremolo with Dom and playing tremolo in general on the mandolin is something that I, I value so much on the instrument. And, um, again, like just getting back to the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about, uh, you know, looseness and grittiness on the instrument versus precision tremolo is a really interesting place to explore that. 
Um, so yeah, those are two of my favorite tracks. Um, but the whole, the whole thing I have love for all, for all the songs that we played. It's a, it's a nice little, it's a nice little collection of, of songs. Well, to help everybody out too. So when this, when this album does get released, I'll do a little quick, little special episode to announce it the week it's coming out. We'll play a track on there. So everybody will be aware when it, uh, when it comes out there, because, um, I mean, I feel so bad people can't hear it yet because this is just like, it's so good. And you know, yeah, yeah <laughs> there'll be a, hopefully this will build up some anticipation because man, totally. it's, a, it's a real treat. Yeah. And Dominic and I are, are certainly, you know, hoping to do some shows together, you know, some little tours of just the duo mandolin stuff would be really great. We'd, we'd love to do that. And, um, and so maybe as that starts happening, we'll, we'll stay in touch with you. And as the record comes out, it'd be fun to even come back on one time with Dominic, you know, and have a conversation with all of us. Absolutely, man. Yeah. yeah. Actually, um, I'll, you should, you guys should come to Charleston. I got a really killer venue here. If you guys find your way, way cool. like needing a routing place, yeah, I, can, man. Uh, I can totally hook you up with a cool place. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds great. So we get to the uh, final two questions here. I mean, I could talk to you. I could talk to you forever, man. This is, uh, uh, yeah. this is great Likewise, stuff. Man. Um, yeah, it's great. So the, the first one is my, my 10 minute a day question. And if you had something to work on for 10 minutes a day that you would recommend that maybe something that helped you out or might help other players out could be anything. What would you, what would you recommend working on? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, so I guess, you know, I mean, God, there's so many, there's so many different things, uh, playing, uh, with a metronome. I know that sounds so trite. It's like the dumbest answer to this question, but I, I really man. feel, <laughs> I feel so strongly about that, that like, it was something I resisted for a long time, but now, um, and it doesn't even necessarily just have to be a click, click, click metronome, like playing with drum machines and stuff like that. But um, I've found on every instrument that I play that that just like really liberates the mental space so that you don't have to be responsible for keeping perfect time. And that's where I found like a lot of my development on technique and on zeroing in on little parts and learning tunes and that Um is just like if you're going to do and, and 10 minutes is a long time when you're doing that you know it, it doesn't sound like a long time but if you really are focused for 10 minutes playing with a metronome i think that's like a great thing to practice and um i have like a couple apps there's one called the drum genius that has like a bunch of cool drum loops um there's another one called the funk box i have on my phone oh, they're neat. like cheap little five dollar apps that like Sometimes I like to make little grooves in there that are just kind of like exciting or bring out different things, but essentially you're still playing with a metronome. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's certainly a good thing to practice for 10, for 10 minutes a day. Well, you know, I think uh, that also informs yeah. like when you listen to this album, it informs yeah. whether well, it's not metronomic. There's definitely yeah. this album wouldn't have, wouldn't be able to be played if you guys didn't have great timing. And you can, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, people, yeah. I think sometimes people confuse a metronome with this rigid stiffness and it's not that at all. If you, ch you gotta no. just change the way you think about it. It's just right. like, it's like anything. It's like learning a scale, just sit there and play that scale. It's boring. But then the first time you play a solo that it pops out on, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, it's the same thing with the yeah. metronome, you know, it's that yeah. freeing up the mental space. It's almost subliminal that you have that timing clicking in the back of your head. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then, yeah, I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
No, no, that's it. That's that. If I had one answer to that question, that <laughs> I think that would be it. Awesome. Yeah. And then, yeah. uh, then the final question is, do you have a favorite beer? Oh, nice, man. Well, yeah, as, uh, I love beer. Uh, me <laughs> and, too. <laughs> uh, it's, we're doing this. Uh, we're doing this interview in the afternoon. So, um, and I was drinking coffee, but since we put it off for an hour, I think I texted you. I was like, "Man, if we just wait another hour, I can actually drink a beer while we do this." Which, <laughs> right you know, it just feels like it's the Mandolins and Beer Podcast. Like, Absolutely, it's half of the title, you know. <laughs> um, so I've always loved what the guy, what the folks at Lagunitas put out. It's so widely distributed now, and it's like grown so much over the years and I've actually had the chance to go out there and play that brewery a few years ago that was um that was one of the first places i met the wood brothers we opened for them at the lagunitas brewery who are one of my favorite bands and oliver wood has become a, a huge mentor in my life and one of my songwriting heroes dude they are that's the band i've seen the most live probably in yeah. the last 10 years they yeah, are awesome they're amazing and um, was super lucky to get to play on, I think, three tracks on Oliver Wood's new solo record, um, which just came out. And I recommend people check that out because he's just always writing such soulful, beautiful songs and puts his whole heart into everything he does and um, both music and otherwise. But Lagunitas, man. So I, you know, I went to the corner store around, the, uh, you know, on my street, uh, and I got this Lagunitas daytime ale. So I was like, oh, it's only you know two o'clock. So <laughs> right. this oh. one's pretty good. It's like really nice in the daytime, and it's August in New Orleans right now, so it's nice and light. I got to run to the uh, party store here, the big bottle yeah. store, and grab some of that myself. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah, man. Yeah, they're right. Okay, it's great. And then as far as the smaller breweries go. Um, I feel like I have to shout out. I just had some really great connections with, with brewery gigs when I was up in Naples, New York, uh, playing with Aaron Lip and the Finger Lakes. There's some really great breweries. And one of them, which is some of the best beer I've ever had in my life, was a brewery called Steuben. And I think they distribute around New York, and they're selling it in uh, in uh, some of those you know bigger grocery stores up there now and stuff. But... Stuben Brewery. I mean, they had a Pilsner that just like knocked me out. Man. Oh, it's like, wow. Yeah, really good. So I would say those, you know, from the big brewery to the small one, those are the two I'd shout out on this on this podcast. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, man? What do you like to drink? Oh, my gosh. Um, I still love um, uh, being from Michigan. I love Bell's Brewing. And oh, yeah. so, you know, the uh, Oberon during the spring, Two-Hearted Ale during the fall. Yeah. And um, and I usually do I, every time I do one of these podcasts, if it's something that I can buy, I usually go out and and run to the uh, store the, that day or the next so I can try out whatever anybody's recommending. And um, uh, Daryl Anger had one that he recommended. Now, I can't remember. I was like a hoppy haze or something like that from Sierra Nevada. Yeah. It was it was yeah, yeah. so good. Yeah. Sierra Nevada is another they're another great one. Um that's always like some of these new summer beers they've been putting out. Actually, like one of my favorite people to drink beer with and uh, play mandolins with is my buddy in, in Greensboro, North Carolina. I've known, actually met him at the mandolin symposium in Santa Cruz, <laughs> but he's from also from the same hometown as me. And we realized we both lived in Greensboro, but his name's Russ Dunn. Shout out to Russ. I know he's a big fan of this podcast. Oh, right on. What's up, Russ? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Russ is, um, 
also a beer connoisseur. And, and the last few times I've been over there, he showed me some of these new Sierra Nevadas that they're putting out that are just so refreshing and good. And we knocked back a couple of those and play some, play some music and it's, uh, it's right in there. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, this yeah. has been just a flipping pleasure, man. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm so man, glad likewise. that we uh, got to do this and I can't wait for the album to come out. Um, people, it, it's, it's so great. I, I can't Thank wait. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was great to talk to you. All right, and thank you so much to Rick for taking the time. I can't wait for you all to hear this album. Be sure to pay attention to the podcast. I will do a special little episode when that album is going to release. You don't want to miss it. It's incredible. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Be sure to head over to mandolinsandbeer.com and just sign up for the mailing list. Cheers, everybody.